Are you listening to the award-winning CBJRadio.com yet? 28 different shows, over 55 hours of new programming every week. Shows range from hip-hop, to rock, to all independent artists, to hair rock, a Friday night request show, and many more. Get yourself a CBJ Radio t-shirt and make CBJRadio.com the only internet radio station you listen to. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. Friends, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm pretty excited. Going to see Widespread Panic for the next three days at Red Rocks. Uh, It's fun, fun shows. Uh, I've been to Red Rocks before for Widespread Panic many times. This year I'm going with a different group of guys. It's going to be a good time. So much fun music. Now today's guest is Maddie Veach. Music is such a wonderful thing. And I've made so many friendships from music, being a DJ, going to many, many, many concerts over the years. Maddie is one of those people I met through music. Now you'll have to listen to the episode to find out which band brought us together. Matt is a concert production guy and handles many different roles to getting a concert performance going. He is at the venue long before the artists show up and long after they leave. You will hear some stories about bands and how he got started in the concert production business. Let's get to the interview. Uh, New York City, born, and then grew up um, just outside New York City, Westchester County. Gotcha. I lived in... Long Island for three and a half years. Um, nice. Worked at News 12 Long Island. So I think there was a News 12 Westchester, but um, familiar with the area. So are your parents native New Yorkers? Yep. Uh, both from Bronx, New York. Our whole family was from the Bronx. And then my family moved to this tiny little town called Pound Ridge, which is right on the border of Connecticut, Stanford, Connecticut. And I, it was funny because most of my cousins and relatives used to make fun of us because they said, they used to say, oh, that's where the horses run free. I mean, obviously it was a joke. Yeah. But pretty, pretty, seclu- pretty awesome place to grow up, let's put it that way. Um, for, for being so close to New York City. Yeah. Um, are you an only child, brothers, sisters? Got a older sister. She's two years older. Ah, I have three siblings, all girls. Um, my older sister was definitely influential. My my older, I have a stepsister's four years older, and my older sister six years older. And so, good portion of my life, um, 
I liked everything she did. I followed everything she did. She introduced me to music to a long to a lot of stuff in my life. Were you the same with your older sister or was she like beat it little brother? <laughs> um, I mean, a little bit, maybe younger. And then I think I, I, she was a little more studious and, and, you know, being an older sibling, she was more on it. I became the black sheep and, <laughs> and as my, mom would say you know the grateful dead kind of ruined my life pretty early in the game (laughs) (laughs) or ruined her life yeah my life was great yeah um with well with my older sister she was good at everything academics athletics all that and so i did my best and i didn't know it until much later in life to rebel against not they were like you're rochelle's little brother and i'd be like no, my name's Justin and I'm different. Yeah, we have the same last name, but you'll realize we're we're different. And uh and our Rochelle did it this way. And so um it was interesting growing up in her shadow. And basically, once like hip hop hit, that was the end of like our music connection because she wasn't into it and I was loving it. And uh and so and then I was like 12 years old and basically defining my own person and and moved on for my sister and then i moved to wyoming where nobody knew my older sister and that was great um developed my own had my own childhood had my own life not growing up under the shadow and i know i talk about her a lot on these podcasts uh, i love her to death and she's a great sister and everything but she cast a large shadow and uh i had to get away from it and such um were you into what were you besides the Grateful Dead? We know that. Uh, what were you into besides that? Were you good in academics? Were you playing sports? Yeah, I was definitely major sports. Well, you know, as a young until you know, right before high school, um, sports was my world. You know, I played everything. And funny thing was, when I was a junior, I played football my whole life. And, when I was a junior in high school, my football coach was this, you know, he played for Syracuse and he was a really good coach. But his son was like the typical six, three, um, you know, quarterback, jock, good looking dude, blah, 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 everything going for him. That guy decided to, because he lived an hour away and had zero social life that he was decided that he was going to stay at his hometown and go to school there. So for some reason, I don't know why, but the coach came at me and said, all right, dude, you're the quarterback (laughs) and literally groomed me for a year. Like I went to camps. I did this and that and became this. I was the backup my junior year. And then this in my senior year, I was the starter all while going to Vault or Grateful Dead shows in between, which was on on the hush hush, but it was it was pretty awesome. And I mean, we had this running back who eventually went to the NFL, short lived by that. But anyway, was awesome. So like all the pressure was off me. It was pretty easy, Um, but I did get a lot of attention from it. Um, Also, why like this dual identity as it is going to dead shows and, and trying to be the face of the town and, and the high school. <laughs> but most of my friends knew 
yeah, the story. I, a, lot, a lot of them would laugh. I'd take the helmet off and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe that was you underneath it. But I give <laughs> a lot of credit, a credit to the coach. And I remember his name, Ed Bantai. He was amazing. And he literally turned me into this amazing athlete in like a year. Wow. And like knew everything, what to do and all. He knew a lot of these like college and pro coaches and go to these camps and just remember this me and this dude took off and went to uh what was it massachusetts foxborough and went to the show while we were at this camp but and got in trouble but anyway yeah that uh-huh. was pretty cool nice but yeah kind of like this morph of, of being an athlete and then becoming kind of the um coincidental stoner deadhead high school kid in in westchester county new york i don't know I'm sure it was the same in Long Island. Like, it was kind of a, it was a huge thing. There was a huge group of people. We would take the Metro North from home to the Madison Square Garden, and it would just be packed with deadheads and yeah. everyone. It was a good time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I when I lived in New York, gosh, I moved there to work in news, and I had friends that we're all on the jam band stuff and i was i moved there and i was like it's mecca of hip-hop music but then i was like it's on every station this is crazy this is like being in wyoming and having country music i was like ah and my friends were like slowly turning me on to like fish and and keller williams and all and i was just like every once in a while they'd be a fish song and i'd be like is this the same fish song this is like our and and now i love it but it was different then Going back to hip hop, I had a very small, you know, stint with hip hop. I mean, we had Run DMC, Beastie Boys, that kind of whole started that New York uh, stuff. And and I definitely liked it. um, But it wasn't like, you know, once again, it was cool to me. I think I was more like heavy metal, Led Zeppelin, classic rock, and then turned and found the grateful dead and i'll tell a really quick story that's hilarious (laughs) growing up on my street i lived in a cul-de-sac and it said you know it was a dead end sign every day from when i was four or five years old i walked up to catch the bus to school and someone had painted grateful over the dead end so it's a (laughs) grateful day and i saw the sign every day i can't remember if they had put like a maybe a uh, lightning bolt or something above it. I can't remember. But anyway, I remember that part of it. And always thought the Grateful Dead was a heavy metal band because of the, you know, steal your face and lightning bolt and all yeah. that stuff. Found out that obviously it wasn't. Yeah. That's awesome. Like, uh, my buddy had a fish tapestry hanging up at his house and I'd pass it every day and eventually I was like, oh, that's fish. Like, oh, I get it. I see. I wasn't paying attention at all. Now I know. Yeah, like, well, I'm, you know, big widespread fan, widespread panic. And everybody, when I say that name, they think metal. They think I'm going to go on metal face. And I was like, no, dude, it's check out their music. And then you'll realize. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I'll play it and they'll be like, oh, this is widespread panic. Man, I was picturing something else. And I was like, no, man. (laughs) That's what I mean. I was like, no, I, I go, my metal phase. I like my metal bands back in the day. And, 
kind of ran out and I'll listen. I like it and listen to it now nostalgically, but I'm not a big metal guy these days. Um, the last mosh pit I did was Rage Against the Machine in um, Nassau Coliseum in New York in the Battle of Los Angeles tour. God, that was the last one because I'm too old for that. And, yeah. um, but it was fun. I, I love Rage still. So did, you know, your success at being a high school quarterback lead to like going to college and playing sports or was it just time for dead tour? So I was, I was a little too slow for any big time colleges, but I was recruited by some division two and three schools. And I, I don't even know why I even went on the visits, but <laughs> um, I guess it was just kind of, get to go party at these schools for a weekend and but in the back of my mind I knew I was never gonna do my 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 athletic career I kind of felt like was done and I was ready to move on to, to other things um obviously music I was playing music as well guitar player and was was definitely way more into that stuff and just kind of was over the whole pressure of, of sports in general and just all the time it took out of your life you know what I mean and I knew college was just if I wanted to pursue anything sports wise like there was I was all about the social life <laughs> at that point yeah so yeah I, I kind of just visited a few schools kind of just let the coaches talk to me and did my thing and it wasn't any heavy recruiting by any means. it was like three schools went and did the weekends and met some people had fun and that was that yeah I, I i was all about sports i moved to wyoming and i did not love it here i grew up in a suburb of portland oregon and uh i knew my only way out was probably sports and we ran the same offense we we're a community that didn't have big athletes so our offense was like t formation two tight ends three running backs fake to everybody bunch of pulling guards tackles uh misdirection we had we had the same offense that's the split yeah. team yeah and we wore maroon and i use air quotes because they were brown uniforms and our lights were dim so you never knew with the ball at home we were unstoppable because <laughs> uh, you just couldn't tell and uh by the time you know my senior year was my best year as all-state athlete it was is awesome uh, at MX went well, serious girlfriend. And when I got recruited, I mean, it was so disheartening to hear every coach go, I thought you were taller. Yeah. I was just like, uh, that's not happening. I'm pretty sure this is, this is it. I don't know any late growth spurts in my family history that I'm going right. to get, you know, a couple more <laughs> inches. And they're like, this would be your teammate. And everybody was just mountain of men. And I was like, all right, uh, it's probably over. And I remember I, mean, I wasn't the tallest either, but it was always, I thought you were faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, they, no, well, they probably thought that too. I'm probably faster. And yeah, I ended up going to, you know, recruiting schools and partying and stuff. And uh, I remember my last game, it's a shrine bowl, um, growing out my hair long and everything. And I remember, our stud running back and I are like kneeling on the side of the field, just sucking wind. And we're like, I'm so glad it's our last game. Like, this is it. Like there was no tears. It was just like, 
we i think you realize like you said the time the the toll on your body like he played with a separated shoulder a lot of the time um the toll and and everything you're like okay and i just started like drinking then like so i was like okay there's more to life than this and so i ended up going to university of wyoming which is my own hometown and and it was blast but it was also going wow now i have so much time you should put it to work nope i put it to my social life and college took a lot longer than it probably should have but i had a blast for everybody that's always telling yeah. me I had a good time. For those people that went four years, I had a blast for you. And so um got into broadcasting and I wanted to be behind the scenes. And it was my stepdad that like silently guided me into the industry and was like, Why don't you be an intern for me? Why don't you take this class? Because he was a big broadcasting instructor at university. I just didn't see it happening and then fell in love with it. It was awesome. I loved all parts of it. And uh, um, just never saw myself hosting a podcast or doing radio shows or anything like that. I always thought I was going to be a production guy. I was perfectly happy being behind the scenes. But there's always that one time that someone asked you to come from behind the scenes and it clicks. And so I'm very comfortable now doing it. So finished high school. Were you off to college or... Were you? Yeah, so I I was I was a my my godmother was married to my cousin. She divorced him and married this dude who had a bunch of money and had a house in Stratton, Vermont. So he taught me how to downhill ski, uh -huh. and all of a sudden that was like the best thing that had ever happened to me. I mean, my family was city people; they didn't know skiing from anything. Anyway. We would go visit them in Stratton, Vermont, and started to ski, and we I just loved it. And my was it senior year, I think junior or senior year, we took a school trip to Utah and went on these huge mountains, and I was just blown away. And me and my best friend were like, we're going to Colorado. Like, that was just, I didn't care how I got there, but I was going there. All right. Couldn't get into the U and got into northern Colorado in Greer, ah. which is not Boulder. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but um, that first, I went there for a year and a half, and we had Vail. So I moved to Colorado um, I, after my senior year in high school and met, of course, a group of east coast kids that went there and we all became ski buddies and music buddies and that first two years in colorado it was 90 i graduated in 90 and then fall 90 went to colorado we had Vail beaver creek passes that were 180 bucks for the season <laughs> which is like unheard of and yes. we probably you know skied and music took over our lives hence college was like not even third priority <laughs> social social life skiing music however order you want to put it one one and one <laughs> were those was that those two years um yeah so that was amazing and it would just you know met a ton of people um mm -hmm. doing that whole world 
that's basically what if we weren't on the mountain we were driving to a grateful dead show <laughs> and that was those were the two those are the two things we did and obviously you know college partying but really was just a weird spot um it was fun like i you know i met some great people there but my my end game was getting to boulder which after my second year really i took so I just moved to Boulder. I was like, all right, I'm going to stop going to school here. Started going to community college and doing continuing ed at CU so I could get accepted, which I did. So it was just a roundabout way. Again, like you said, it took a little longer than most. Um, <laughs> but I was able to get in-state, become a Colorado resident, and, and be, get in-state in tuition for CU, which was a lot obviously way better oh yeah um, and that's kind of how my college career went um and this whole time you know i kind of i was definitely playing in bands and you know obviously everyone wants to be a rock star but i kind of knew in the back of my head i just kind of started too late there was so many amazing musicians and I kind of just was like, all right, well, there's some way I got to get into this world and kind of just slowly but surely got myself into the production world. I worked my first job out of college was working in finance and like wearing a suit and tie. And it was kind of more of like, all right, this is what my parents want me to do. And it was miserable. I hated yeah. every minute of it. Um, but did so you get a finance of, degree then? No, oh. not even close. Okay, <laughs> but I kind of just fell ass backwards. I started doing mortgages and met some people in the biz. I had a sociology degree. It was okay, the oh, easiest, wow. the easiest way to get out of school the quickest at that okay. point. Okay, you know, yeah. So you know that was my twenties, and I just tooling around in that industry and just saw this saw these older people that were just miserable and like I said I was I knew a lot of people in the production world and I, I just remember from going to dead shows and seeing the guys kind of running around I'm like huh well if I can't be a musician I can be one of those guys yeah. and that's kind of how it all springboarded and like I said I was you know the whole kind of marijuana game in Colorado was what I was using yeah. as a side hustle to keep, to be able to make a living and to, to kind of break into that world a little later than a lot. Of, you know, I wasn't, I was 30 years old when I started and kind of just, you know, was easing my way in. Um, I had no production background. My only background in it was, you know, playing music and knowing a ton of people in Boulder, Denver area that were already already into it. And, well, um, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say so much in common. I, well, I ski raced in high school. I grew up skiing on Mount Hood, moved to Wyoming, and it was my second sport. And I kind of stopped later in life because I was so aggressive as a skier because I was my racing style. And and then I started dating girls that didn't ski, and I was like, um, 
well, this, you know, I'm not just going to go by myself or, you know, they were from out of town or, and so I'm skiing a while, but, um, I remember skiing on Mount Hood in Oregon and it's wet, wet snow. And so if you hit powder, you better be hauling butt. And I moved to Wyoming and I hit powder and it is like skiing in a cloud. It was like, you couldn't get me out of it. Like I would be like, yes, let's go find more powder. And I use skiing as just basically another sport to stay in shape football. But since I was athletic, I was probably one of the better skiers for not being a guy that was full-time ski racer. Like a lot of my teammates, they skied year round. They went to his camps and everything. They're amazing. And some of them were the best in our town because the best were skiing on sponsored teams and, and stuff like that. And, uh, so it was fun. Um, but I totally understand like chasing the, you know, the snow chasing, I mean, just wanting to be in it and ski on it and, and see where it takes you. And I could well, see going from the East coast and then you ski in Utah and Colorado, which are world famous ski areas. Um, I never skied one bit in New York. People are like, you will hate it. When I lived there, like, don't even try it out here. It's garbage. And I was like, I take your yeah, word. I mean, that, that was the deal. It was just an ice rink. So when we got, when we came out here, it was like, oh my God, like you said, just skiing on a cloud. And we were so used to just, you know, we, I was never a racer, but, you know, we would try to go as fast as we could. Oh, yeah. But just the ice was so, like, it just made me better. So when I came out to the West, it was just like, Oh my God. It was like being in a cloud. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then I understand that going into that career, you think you should be going into, I went into TV news in New York and uh, it's not for me. It was, it sucked. Um, there's people that are very talented that still work in it and still enjoy it that I have friends with in, in the industry, but it wasn't, it burned me out. And then living in New York kind of burned me out. Um, I was like, I get it why people don't go from west to east. They usually go east to west. And I, I got it. And uh, I, I came back to Wyoming for, oh, I got a divorce while I was in New York. So that kind of helped me get out. And uh, I came to University of Wyoming to work in education and feel good about my job every day. And and um, But once I knew I moved back here, I was like, I have to do things I didn't do when I lived here before so i mean crank up the concert intake you know hiking all this stuff just do stuff that i didn't do when i hated laramie and it's been great um i i got into like djing on the weirdest um no no desire to be a dj no background in it um i was i was at a bar all the time and they're like hey rude you like music and i was like well yeah you want to be a DJ? Yeah. You're our new Thursday DJ. Okay. Like, I'll I'll do it. I kind of saw like guys carrying their equipment in. I had a rough idea. Um, I clearly got better in time. But once you become a DJ, everybody expects you to know everything about music. And I'm sure you might run into that working in the production side. Like they may ask you, oh, you do this? And then ask you seven questions about something completely opposite in the industry that you don't even touch. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it, it's interesting. And I always, you know, I knew what the production guys, you know, especially sent them a concert because I set up live TV events all the time. And it takes a crew to get that together. And then 
you know, talent shows up 15 minutes before it starts. Hey, let's do this. You know, like, yeah, we've been for hours. Yep. But yeah. Let's that, do this. <laughs> that was the, um, you know, the funny thing about production and, and learning the, the industry about, you know, how much prep time goes into all these shows and how much respect, you know, I gained for it all. But like you just said, the same stupid questions from people, you know, and we would laugh like, oh, yeah, this just like magic. And it just popped up over, you know, in an hour and all of a sudden there's a show, you know, because that's what most people see. They walk into the show at seven o'clock and the show starts at seven thirty and they don't understand that we've been there since 8 a.m. building. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and you'll get the, those were the best compliments that I ever got. And I can remember them, you know, getting a getting a compliment from someone and they might not be in the world, but they just knew, you know, they were smart enough to know, like, hey, man, thanks a lot. For, you know, maybe they were walking by the backstage or they were in the backstage and they would say, oh, thanks, man, for, you know, working so hard so we could have a good time. And that's what like, you know live music production and obviously tv it's a weird thing because you're like what are you doing this for and you you know my my take from it was always i'm doing this so other people can have their weekend or night out to to get away from their slave job or their rat race where they're you know where i saw this as a younger person like i'm not going to become this person yeah and um you know, sure, everyone bitches about their job, but <laughs> I got I got it pretty good. You know, I get to travel the world. I get paid for what most people pay thousands upon thousands of dollars to do every weekend. I mean, I just got back from Telluride Bluegrass and the hog farm in California. And, you know, just kind of sitting on the side of the stage going, wow, this is pretty awesome because you look out in the crowd and all these people are just smile you know ear to ear smiles and they're literally whether they're you know work an hourly or have an amazing job they're spending a shit ton of money going to this stuff oh yeah i i I remember the first time like like walking onto like a set or out onto a stage and seeing all those people uh say hi girl hey what's your name (laughs) Zoe. Zoe. Do better, Zoe. Stay healthy. She's, 90, she's 95 in human years, oh. so she's, she's still hanging in there. I grew up with dogs um, most of my, all my life, and I've had two cats for the last couple of years. I mean, I've had my cat for 14 years, which every day seems like a new day with me with a cat. I'm like, that's something I don't know. And so they're both entertaining. One's name's Althea, which my nice. girlfriend uh, named her, and she's not a big old Grateful Dead fan. Uh, it was between Athena and Althea. I worked with Athena. I said, oh, that may get interesting. She's like, what about Althea? And I was like, yeah, I like that name. It sounds great. <laughs> oh, that's great. And then she fully put it in documentation, and I was like, uh, that's a Grateful Dead song. And she was like, oh, people are going to think you named her. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, a dual meaning there that's great yeah. and I, my cat's name is Carl 
And that came from Rothbury Music Festival, like the first year. People were yelling for Carl throughout that show, not the whole weekend. Some Carl got lost and the whole crowd became looking for him. And then it just spawned over many, many other concerts. I would hear people yelling for Carl. And that was kind of like, oh, yeah, you were there too. And so when I said, like, I was at the original Rockberry where we were looking for Carl, not the second year where you were still trying to find him. And so <laughs> uh, I had to name my cat that and because it, it's fun to yell. And he gets yelled at quite a bit. And he's 14. He's not like timid or docile any like he's fully active all the time and might be losing his eyesight and his hearing but who isn't so um yeah animals are awesome i mean growing having pets are, are awesome i'd love to have a dog someday but the cats have grown on me how long 13 you said wait she's yeah 13 and a half so yeah but she just recently started having seizures, unfortunately. She's had three of them. And they're saying, you know, I'm not, she's so, you know, she's lived a great life. Yeah. Supposedly, probably has a brain tumor. Oh. But um, we've been, I've, you know, I've, I've defied the vet and didn't want to put her on these harsh drugs just to dope her up for no reason. So I've been giving her this CBD that my friend makes in Colorado. And, and ever since I started this specific CBD, she hasn't had a seizure and she's been doing amazing. Awesome. And I would just rather, I would just rather her be herself for however much time she has left than like to give her these. First of all, they want to give her these uh, epileptic drugs, which she doesn't have epilepsy. You know, she obviously has some kind of brain neurological thing going on that's causing these seizures, but the side effects of these drugs are just sleeping, overeating, walking into walls. And like, I just, I'd, I'd rather her live three months happy than a year doped out of her mind. Like, what's the point of that? You know, definitely, you know, uh, quality of life. Uh, far and it's just another example how um thc marijuana is a cure for or, or at least you know treats a symptom for even in dogs this is that's another amazing product which i never thought about when you know i heard snoop dogg rapping about it when i was 20 years old like i never thought like it would lead down the road of being a, like a real medicine it's it's amazing how much it has done. And I've heard about it curing, helping people that have Tourette's. I'm blown away. I mean, so many different things. And it's, we'll just sidebar this conversation real quick, but just yeah. how Western medicine wants to keep everyone just drugged on these crazy drugs that they prescribe to keep these drug companies, you know, filthy rich yet. You know, obviously we've seen amazing strides in, in the, legalization of, of marijuana and cannabis and all these different products i was just out in california and walked into a and i on it i don't even smoke anymore i'm 100 I'm sober but that's another conversation for later um just seeing all these products and we were my girlfriend and i were in there shopping for her mother-in-law who has ms and 
started using these products for sleep and for help and we were getting her some uh indica sleep gummies but just the amount of stuff on the shelf is just baffling (laughs) absolutely oh yeah yeah. um i mean we got sidetracked because you know zoe deserves some a shout out um working in working in the industry like who who was the first you know band do you remember that you were work production on so amazingly i so my first boss who got me into it um lived in boulder and at the time he was the production manager for the string cheese incident okay so even though i didn't directly start working for them right away I always had that in. Um, so I started working for him doing festivals and I, I was this guy who just was like, cause like I said, I had no background in production and I was like, I will do any job there is, whether it's, you know, stage hand driving the, the van, whatever it was, man, lighting, audio backline. I did every job possible just to learn as much as I could one and basically just to show people, okay, I'm a little older than every these younger kids, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And a lot of people were stoked. And I got shit on both sides. You know, the younger kids were like, why are you working so hard? <laughs> Making us look bad. But yeah, you know, the, the, the higher ups were super stoked that I was willing to do all these things. And I was around the, the band, the string cheese, and I would go to the warehouse which was this little shithole in Louisville um, and Colorado outside of Boulder and, and just kind of be around. I was just kind of like this fly on the wall that wouldn't go away. And as the years went by, you know, I started doing shows with them. I was, the, I became the warehouse manager first. And then um, as years went by and just slowly kind of, people would would either you know get another tour or, or have another job that fill in for people and then i became the stage manager um and started touring with them and was backline tech for one summer for drums and bass and went back to stage manager and then as the years went by i became the production manager which was wow. the guy who got me into it the first job that, that he had and he was gone long gone by then and I just kind of inherited these jobs um by by just like I said being around sticking around and working hard it was pretty amazing was there uh I mean once you know you got the production uh the main production manager job um was there a particular like area you wanted to like really interested in I want to be a guitar tech I want to be a drum tech I want you know or you just I know you're trying to soak it all in but after a while you're kind of like well maybe i'll do this for a little while was there a specific area basically this the stage manager position was my bread and butter because it was it was this job that you know like i had enough i had enough info and background on all the different departments um but i you know i wasn't a pro you know i wasn't an audio engineer i wasn't a lighting designer but I could manage all these people and and it just, you know, I got along with everyone and I kind of knew just by doing all this. So I started stage managing festivals 
and that's how I kind of broke in with that job. Um, and of course, being a player, a guitar player myself, I kind of knew the instruments. What's funny, because my first background job was a drum tech, and I'm not a drummer. <laughs> but I know a lot about them now, which is super cool. Yeah. And um, it was a massive job to take on as as my first touring backline gig but you know it's it's been amazing because it took kind of jumping into this bigger stuff first taught me so much so i was able to basically work for anyone and as my career went on i worked for anders osborne i became his guitar tech and tour manager or tour manager guitar tech however you want to say it and then the pandemic happened yeah. and then kind of was just like, man, you know, everyone was sitting there like, I didn't even know if music was ever going to come back. You know, I saw people getting their real estate license, and doing other things and kind of freaking out. And I remember sitting there like, has everyone just forgot about us? You know, cause the phone wasn't ringing anymore. Emails weren't coming. And then we started back up and even Andrews himself was like, man, I'm, I'm going to try. And, Cause he's, he started doing, you know, so many bands and, and musicians started doing these at home type stuff, you know, everything like we're doing right now, the zoom yeah. stuff. And that, that scared me a lot. You know, I was like, Oh shit, what's going to happen to this the live production world. We started going back at it for a minute and, uh, then leftover salmon called and i jumped in with them because i was like man i just jam bands have just been my thing you know i've worked for other big productions locally in denver when i lived there and um i just knew i wanted to be back not that anders is he's kind of a crossover you know he he, he lives among the jam band people but it just wasn't the same. And so leftover salmon called and then I took that job uh, almost two years ago. Wow. So that's, that's who I'm out with now. And hey, Justin, can we pause this for a minute? Yeah. I have another appointment at four o'clock. I got to jump on this conference call and then we can resume after. Okay. All right. Back. Um, you mentioned earlier that um you saw the world via your your job and everything um who was the first was it strange he's the first band you went out on tour with was it another band that you got to see more in the united states um so basically string cheese was the first band i i did tours with um it was mostly united states um we did mexico we did jamaica I was able earlier before I joined string cheese to do some actually DJ stuff um, in the weirdest place of all was in Hungary uh, in Budapest, which my old girlfriend um, ended up moving there and through a, through university here in the States started going to school there so i visited her it was kind of at the tail end of our relationship but anyway i got hooked up with these guys there 
and I was able to work some production there and actually ended up being involved in, I don't know if it's been broken, that was 15 years ago, but it was the Guinness Book of World Records longest DJ set huh. um, at the time, I guess, in yeah. the world, which I think it was like 57 hours straight. Holy <laughs> and um, so it was me and this other guy and then another team, and we would break off 12 hours at a time. We would work 12 hours. And it was basically just babysitting the audio. Um, but that was super cool. It was like in this cavernous, you know, and I don't know if you've ever been to Eastern Europe, but oh. obviously the buildings are super old. And you could walk in like a door, which looked like a normal building, but then it would just go on forever and ever. And there was just so many cool spots. And they had, you know, it was kind of like this, I guess they would yeah, consider like an underground rave spot at okay. the time. And uh, that was my first international gig, um, which was super interesting and fun and, and crazy just because of one, the biggest issue was the power crossovers. Um, oh, yeah. If you know anything about power, it's yeah. like, so in Europe, they use all 220. Um, obviously here in the States, we, we like our smaller amps and, uh, but anyway, that was really a fun, fun time and, and a cool experience. I've not made it back to Europe. Unfortunately, leftover salmon is going to Europe at the end of the summer, but they, because of budget, they're not taking our U S crew. They have hired a European tour manager, which I was pretty bummed about, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I'm not going to get too, at this point in my life, I can't get too bent out of shape about things. I get it. Um, you know, the, it's really hard to play over there unless you are huge, you know, um, we're actually use. I guess they're using the score management company that Billy strings uses. Okay. Um, so whoever that person was is going to be helping our band. Um, and it's only a, it's only a, it's like three dates. It's like one festival in Denmark and then a show in, in uh, London. Oh. So like I said, if it was a big tour, I'd be probably bummed, more bummed about it, but it's, they're literally going to be there like five or six days. So. So how much Europe could you see in five, six days, you know? Well, that's the thing. Yeah. And that's the issue with, with being on the road with any band. I mean, yeah. we, unless you get a day off in that city, you're, conf you know, we're, you're, conf you're, you're restricted to the venue you're working in. And a lot of times if it's indoors, you're inside for 12 to 18 hours inside the venue working. Um, and you really don't, you know, there's been so many cities where like, oh yeah, I've been there, but I, you know, I was in the whatever, blah, blah, blah theater and I never made it outside because we had to be in the next city the next night. So I go back to these cities and I'm like, oh yeah, I have been here. <laughs> um, I, you know, you don't really get to see much, unfortunately, unless you have a day off and then. A lot of times you're so tired that you're sleeping half the day and, you know, you might get out and see a little bit. But um, 
fortunately with leftover salmon, there is a little more time. Um, our production is not as huge as uh, string cheese was to where I get a little more time out to see a little more of, the, of these cities. Um, but then again, sometimes our routing can be so crazy. So we, you know, like just recently we did, well, this was an actually awesome. We got to do 10 days in Hawaii and we did three islands yes. and that was amazing. Um, we did three different venues on three different islands and we did, we actually did seven shows because we did on Waikiki, we did an early and late show, two nights. Then we played one show in in Maui, and then we did two in Kauai. But then after that, we went to California and did this, what was called Skull and Roses. It was a Grateful Dead-themed festival. Um, Leftover was asked to play the Working Man's Dead album, which was super cool. All right. But I was there. I literally flew into LAX, got an Uber to the festival because of flight delays and traffic. I literally got there like an hour before the set. We played the set, went back to the hotel, and then flew out to Memphis at five in the morning to do another festival. So I was not even there 24 hours. So that's kind of gives you an idea of sometimes the routing when we will do these weekends where it's a double fly and those are just exhausting yeah. and, and pretty harsh on, on everybody. But, you know, the booking agents look at it like money in the pocket. They're yeah. not even think, they don't think about us when they, when they make these decisions. Logistics. I mean, obviously, the, obviously the band agrees because they see dollar signs. Sure. But until until it happens, they're like, "Why did we? What did we? Why did we agree to do this?" <laughs> yeah, I think it was you that said it to me uh, in Milwaukee, and there we there with two nights, and you're like, "Ah, oh, a stop where the crew can just put the feet up for a little bit. It's not on to the next show, the next day, the next morning. It's two nights, or especially three nights are better." And I agree with video setups I've set up where I'm like. Oh, I can leave my equipment. All right, cool. We got a break. And then I, you know, that's cool. Or I can, you know, got us record the next day. I can leave all the stuff here. That's awesome. Not on to the next. Um, when I worked in news, I shot like, I remember like five basketball games in one night. Like that was brutal. And just driving around and catching what you can. So the more you can stay use, put, the better. Oh, it's I don't know if they use this term in TV, but in, in music, we call it crew year's eve. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's able to, like you said, stay in one place. Oh. And, and you, you mentioned widespread panic earlier. Their footprint now is any crew member's dream because they literally do basically two to three nights every, you know, they're not on a bus anymore. They get to fly into wherever they're playing on a, say, a Thursday. They do a pre production day, they play three nights load out and then fly home. I mean, they're, my girlfriend's always like, why don't you get a job with them? She loves them. And yeah. you know, if I could just flip a switch and say, yeah, I'm here now. <laughs> That'd yeah. be great. But I, I know a lot of their, their crew guys and obviously no one's given up that job. Uh, I guess. Yeah. I wouldn't know, <laughs> no. but I mean like, yeah, I understand the 
um yeah setting up and you're like all right i hope it all works it's gonna work all right i'll work let's tear it down like we just created this great thing let's tear it down right that was always like uh and then you're like and especially if you're pressed for time to fly next day or or 5 a.m man those teardown sessions become rough (laughs) like and don't forget anything (laughs) yeah i Um, mean i can remember this was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And we did 10 nights in a row in 10 different cities. Ugh. And I talk about, you know, being, being stretched in that, that was, that was a rough one. Yeah. You need a big old after party after those 10 nights. You need 10 days to recover. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, like, Give me one sec. I just yeah. got to uh, send this text message. Uh, there we go. A couple more questions, and I'll wrap it up. Um, how many? Do you know how many bands you've gone on tour with offhand? <laughs> I mean, steady touring, just bands. It was String Cheese. I was uh, Kyle Hollingsworth, who's the keyboard player. I was his road manager and backline guy. Um, I did Anders Osborne and now I'm with Leftover Salmon. I worked at, uh, you know, a gazillion festivals. I worked at Z2, which is Fox and Boulder Theater. I worked at Ogden. Um, in Denver, I did AEG stuff. Um, this was before the mission. Um, so I do a lot of Colorado stuff. And then now I live in Florida huh. and I've, Got a little side gig with a backline company outside near Jacksonville called Eventcraft. Um, I've been doing a bunch of the so when, and this is only when I'm home. Yeah, I got that job. Before, I was in limbo and I hadn't started with Salmon yet, so I was you know there's a, a ton of theaters here in Florida, all the way up and down south to, to north. A lot of them are in college campuses or just in the cities and done a boatload of different shows. I mean, I, honestly, it's unless I literally write it all down, I can't even, <laughs> you know, the amount of acts I've worked is just insane. You know, and then when I was in Colorado, I did Red Rocks. Uh, let's see, the Ogden, the Bluebird. Um, what else did I do? I can't even remember. Obviously, Fox. So in um, Fox and Boulder Theater, I was a stage manager for many years, and then towards the end, before I left, I was uh, the they call it the MOD. So you're basically the general manager for that show. There's wow. a general manager that works, you know, who's the general manager for everything, but then they just called it the MOD. So m- m- I guess it was manager, manager on, duty. on duty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I would, so I would settle and that kind of got me better with the tour managing. Cause I was always on the production side. Oh yeah. I forgot about this other tour. I, did. <laughs> I really forgot about it. It wasn't, it, it was, it was music and I did the production, but it was called the inflatables and it was like a college tour. We went to all these college towns across the country and set up, it was a kind of the the main epicenter was um you know music there was no lights because it was a daytime thing and they set up these giant inflatables in this kind of big i guess it depended on the footprint of the 
of the or whatever venue you were in. People would, you know, dress up in crazy outfits and jump all over these inflatables to music. And that was more of a money grab for me because I would, they gave me the, I was the director of operations for that. Because huh. these people who started it, the, the, comp- the production company I worked for in Colorado was bought by this big radio conglomerate called Town Square. And that's how I got hooked up with this. And the, the people that started it had no clue. They just like wrote it. It was just like this idea that came to fruition, but had zero experience with any operations or production experience. So they hired me. I hired four other people to come with me. And we did that for, let's see, I did that for like almost three years. Wow. And now, and that was while I still worked for String Cheese. So the way I got kind of got pushed out of that one was because I was making pretty good money, <laughs> and but no one knew what to do. So I kind of my bought my old boss built. He kind of built a footprint, and then I just took that footprint and and made it way more efficient and and uh, saved them a boatload of money. And while they made a boatload of money, but they paid me well. But as the time went on people were learning i kept all these secrets <laughs> so no one could take my job yeah and then obviously you know the cat comes out of the bag eventually and they're like well we can hire someone to do this for a lot cheaper than you mm-hmm. and uh but i was also doing string cheese at the same time so when they would go out on the road i would leave that because that was a it was like a thursday to sunday or monday gig so we yeah. would just i think those couple years i must have flown like 40 weeks out of the year Oof. i had a lot i had a lot of miles yeah no doubt um mm-hmm. you say it i know what it means explain what a backline person is um for the person that doesn't really know production talk <laughs> so your a backline tech is your guitar tech your drum tech your bass tech your keyboard tech, basically they will build, you know, some bands have one guy who does it all. I do it all for strings uh, for leftover right now. Um, I wear like nine hats for leftover, but we'll just leave that. Yeah. But a lot of bands like string cheese have a string tech who, d- who does guitars and bass. They have a drum tech who builds the two drum and percussion world and then a keyboard tech who builds the keyboard world. So, I mean, these, you know, the bigger you are, you know, like Dave Matthews has his own guitar tech. Trey from fish has his own guitar yeah. tech specifically for him because they can afford it. Um, and, you know, a lot of times that person is like pretty much the closest person to that musician. Um, you know, besides the tour manager and the tour manager, won't be as close or like a friend because they're like this person that's like okay you gotta be here or you gotta be there you gotta do this interview kind of stuff so they might think of that person as kind of like your you know your your nagging wife or something yeah yeah yeah. where the backline tech your guitar tech or drum tech is this guy who you confide in about all your musical needs, but also your 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 day to day life stuff, because it's someone you're around on tour with, like twenty four seven almost. So you can, you know, those I see a lot of those relationships, you know, including myself, where you become really close with that person because you're sharing, 
you know, everything on stage to get that show up and running. But then again, like I said, you're, you're talking your your normal life to them because that's all that's yeah. the person you're talking to most. Oh yeah, um, I always see him at shows, you know, guitar techs and drum techs and everything. And my friends are always like, "Man, they look so intense. They're always focused." And I was like, "Well, they're working. They're not just sitting there yeah. watching a show." I was like, "They're working." I was we, like, "We, we I, have well, a, a a funny joke which." There's an intern program at Z2 at the Fox and Bullish Theater where young kids can come in and kind of get their feet wet. They're working for free, but they're they're whether they have production background or not, you can come in with zero and get a really good education in that world. But we would laugh because some kids would come in that first day. And be I'm like, what did you expect? Like limousines and, and women and cocaine just laid out on the table for you? Like, that's not how this works, <laughs> you know? Um, and because yeah. some people are just so blind that they just think, you know, and there's a funny meme out there on social media, which it's like what what they think happens backstage, oh, yeah. what your mom think, thinks happens backstage, and what really happens backstage. And the what really happens is like four dudes on a couch looking at their phone, waiting for the show to end or waiting for whatever to happen. Yeah. Know? Like, yeah, we got them there. They're doing it. Okay. Now we're waiting. So many, but so many yeah. people have this, this oh, yeah. vision of, of like, just, you know, I always think of Motley Crue, like, or Led Zeppelin, <laughs> yeah. you know, like throwing, throwing TVs out the, out the window. Um, and sorry, I keep getting phone calls. I'm right. sending a voicemail. Um, you know, throwing TVs out the window, chicks running around half naked, booze and drugs everywhere. Like it's just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen that way. You know, right. maybe in the seventies and eighties there was a lot more going on. These days, it's way on the other side of things, where you know the party is. You know, obviously, some bands there's sure. there, there, there's some partying going on, but nowadays it's more like, hey, let's get your mental health straight. Um, you know, there are recovery groups. There's all kinds of stuff out there to help people instead of hurt you. Because yeah. if you're going out there thinking you're going to rage every night, and listen, I was one of those people back. Yeah. In, I've done. I've done. I did it both ways. I'm on the other end of it now. Thank God. Yeah. And it's a way easier to to live this life in sobriety than it is raging every night. I'll tell you that. I understand that. Well, I mean, I still drink party, but when I DJed, people were like you don't get wasted as a DJ, and I was like, "Cause I'm working." Like yeah. I like to have a few drinks. That's fine. That's kind of. I'm not going to turn down a shot, but I still got a job to do. I still, mm -hmm. you know, it's I got to take this stuff down when we're done, and I love this equipment. So let's not get me wasted all the time and yeah. and but yet also being in that atmosphere all the time it leads can lead to just excessive amounts of everything so um it's there's temptation and there's also like oh i just gotta get the job done i gotta be able to do it tomorrow like you realize yeah. hey my body doesn't recover too or hey maybe i should just cut this out completely and see where it takes me maybe i'll be more successful who knows you know more, more focused and and stuff like that 
And, but yeah, I know it's not an endless party. I was like, man, you can't, those days are probably long behind a lot of these major touring bands right now because you, you just can't get on stage each night. You it's not, it's just, work. it's not, it's, yeah, it's not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, it's just not, I mean, the, you know, you see, you hear about it or whether you see it or hear about it, you know, there's, you know, the Steven Tyler's of the world who've gone back to rehab 30 times, you know, obviously that's a very micro percentage of the world out there because he has unlimited funds. He has handlers and people taking care of him. So sure he can go back and forth, but you know, 98% of the, the live music industry, there's a lot of people just on that, uh, you know, I'm not going to call it a struggle bus, but, you know, they got to kind of fend for themselves. There's not limos picking them up. There's not, you know, someone guiding them every single step of the way. You got to, you got to, you know, you got to make these, you got to travel, whether it is by plane, bus, car, whatever it is, you know, you got to, you got to be able-bodied. You can't be wasted all the time. It just doesn't work that way. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, and, and, even these bigger acts now that have unlimited funds, I mean, you can't, I worked for Taylor Swift two different times. I think it was in 2012 one time and then in 19 and like the rules on that tour, I, I just did like the Denver and Arizona and the last one. And the rules on that tour were unbelievable. I mean, you couldn't do like if you turned your head the wrong way you're fired you know oh. so you know they're 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 looking at you know they want to make sure that their act is is representing in a positive light you know you're not you're not you're not getting away with anything on those bigger tours makes sense a whole lot of money whole lot of money mm -hmm. you know can't be playing with people's money so nope they'll be like you got i remember when i was a a bouncer and we had a penny beer night and it was like three dollars get in and they're like you bouncers have to be completely sober <laughs> yeah because i was like what did you say penny beer night yes yeah you pay oh, like three dollars yeah this in the 90s you play like three dollars or guys were like five bucks and people would bring pennies and i'd be like it's basically free if you give us me a penny as bartender i'm gonna be, just drop right. a quarter down or something right. like that. <laughs> and we were bounced and and i was like what you know i've had a few drinks as bouncer before and other jobs and that much easy access to beer makes people rowdy out of control i saw a girl put a cigarette out on the back of a guy's neck Ooh. and i had to grab her yeah throw her out and and she stood by my the door for a good chunk of the night went back in and i was like if i let you back in that guy's gonna kill you and i'll probably <laughs> and i'll probably watch because that was yeah right up. that's gotta hurt yeah and i was like you're just kicked out for tonight. Don't make it always. Right. Eventually your friends came and got her. And um, it was a whole lot easier being sober where I could move maneuver people through the bar. Don't fight in my bar. And I'd bounce them off walls and throw them outside. And I was like, wow, this sober thing pays off, I guess, as a bouncer. Yeah, but at the absolutely. end, I was so agitated that I'm glad I went to DJ route. It was a whole lot easier than being a bouncer. That job sucks. Um, good, you know, Good shout out to all the bouncers out there that do good work, but some take them for just to be a power job, which is stupid. 
Um, yeah, I mean, the good the good ones that stay have longevity are, are in that you know they ha- you have to be reasonable. Right. Oh, well, I I go. I came from the Patrick Swayze Roadhouse rules. Get them yeah, outside. Man, Get them outside. <laughs> when are you? When do I find them, boss? You'll know when you find them. I'll let you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I, so many times I would get people outside and they challenge me to fight. And I just like, I'm going back in to have fun. I, you're, my job is done with you. Now we can have the police make it more intense. So you can go away and I'm just going to go back inside. And I was never egged into fighting outside the bar ever. Well, it's, fun. it's funny you're talking about this as a crew member on a, on a, on a with touring bands. If you have a radio on, you know, little Motorola with a microphone hanging from your shirt collar, the general public thinks is that as an information booth, whether you're security, medical, just information in general. And we would just always make jokes about that because people would just ask me, you know, if I'm walking through the crowd for some reason, just the dumbest questions oh, on the yeah. planet, just because you're wearing a radio, you know, they have no idea what you're doing. Um, I mean, and, and if you have an inkling of a brain, you can tell who's medical, who's a police officer, who's security, oh. you know, these days it's pretty well labeled, but you know, people, again, you got your drunk person who just is not thinking straight. And so they're, just asking you the dumbest questions on the planet. We're all tied a lot, t- a lot, and a lot of times, as a touring crew guy, you're visiting this venue. You might have been there five times, but you still don't know where the bathrooms are, or you know where anything is. You know, just because you're in your own world on the stage, and okay, I might come out to front of house to go talk to my audio guys for a minute, but I still on that walkway or on that walk from backstage to front of house i'm getting asked the dumbest stuff and i'm just like i don't know <laughs> you know and yep. you're all tied in on that one walkie yeah. not the yeah. chance that you're all on different channels and different departments not a chance at no, all we're not, most of the time you're not on even the same frequency because yeah. it's the house people and the touring people we have our own radios yeah we don't have any connection you know sometimes as a production manager i would have a house radio on too but I, that's not for that reason yeah. <laughs> it's to talk to the house guys yeah um what would you tell people that it would try to break into your you know into that world of music production and stuff i know you kind of went the later route and you worked hard i mean that's probably some first advice you'd give but maybe start earlier what kind of advice would you give somebody getting into the field i would Think long and hard before you do it because, you know, there, there's a, there's a solid glass ceiling in this industry. You know, if you're looking to get rich, I would run as far away from this, this side of things as you can. You know, there's management, there's agent side. Sure. You know, you get your Taylor Swift or Beyonce or whoever fish, you know, and you, you know, but a lot of those relationships, as, as you see, are through tight-knit stuff. You know, a lot of these people have been with them since day one. Um, for, for example, Richard Glasgow, who's the road manager for Fish, he's been with them since, I want to say, 1988 or something, you know. And they're not going. They're not giving up that job. They're not 
going anywhere. You know, management might change over the years, but String Cheese has been with Madison House since day one. No one's leaving. So, you know, even uh, I heard an interview with, um, what's the red-haired ginger guy, Pop? Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran, yeah. His manager is his best friend Uh, growing up, you know. Um, Taylor Swift's management are her parents. You know, like you're not gonna just break into someone's world like that because it's it's all about trust. Um, you know, sure there are these big Hollywood agencies and you can bust into that, but that's a little I think more on the you know TV movie side of things. But again, you're not getting that job unless you got the trust of that person. Um, and going back to your original question, the production side, man. You got to realize this is not a nine to five. You are working some serious hours. You know, we've all done, you know, 12 to 18 hours. It's like a normal day, even on the TV side of things. You know that. Um, And movie side, you know, and then there's days where you're just continuous. I mean, depending on the show, depending on the load in or load out, you have a time that you have to hit and if it's not done or something you know there's a there's a wrench in your world you got to fix it and and you're not going to sleep you're not going home um if you want a family and you want to be a family guy like definitely run for the hills on this one because you're away from home a lot you know yeah i don't have children for that reason i mean I'm divorced, but I'm now with another woman who's amazing. She has kids, and I'm getting to enjoy that side of things when I'm home. Um, but I just I, I've been gone for a month, and I'm actually at my dad's house because my dog is sick, and he's been taking care of her. Um, so I go back out on the road tomorrow or Wednesday, and we do Railroad Earth and Yonder and Salmon Run. And then I get to go home next Monday. So fortunately, my girl and the kids got to come out and visit me at the hog farm. And I got to spend a week with them during this run. So that was awesome. But you got to like, you got to make these things happen, you know, or you don't see your family. You know, I, I can use this example, the amount of my coworkers, roadies that would see their kid's birthday or graduation on FaceTime. That's how they would live their life. You know, you're talking to your girlfriend, your wife on FaceTime. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of stuff you got to get through to make these relationships work or, or it's going to be hell. Um, so you got to kind of know these things going in. Um, you know, a lot of, I see a lot of kids, coming from there's full sale there are these technological colleges and, and ways you can break in um but i don't think though and maybe i'm wrong because i never went to them but i've i don't know how much they tell you about that stuff you know they'll teach you the the groundwork for your specific job um but you know if you really want to chase live music production you, you're gonna be um you know, it, it's crazy because, yes, we're with around a lot of people all the time and we're kind of, you know, 
in this concert mode, but you have to think about all these alone times, hotel rooms, um, plane, you know, airports, car rides, bus rides. You're alone, man. And, you know, you, thank God we have these crazy phones that you can connect. Because, man, when I first started touring, they, they had these big, they call them the Bibles. And they were literally these giant three ring binders with, you know, the venue information, the tour, the routing. This was before smartphones, you know, before now everything we have what's called Master Tour. It's an app on your phone and you just click the date. It tells you all the info, where you're going, what you're, you know. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, the technological world has helped us. The digital world has helped us with all this stuff. And again, keeping connected with your family. I can only imagine like 70s and 80s. I mean, you were probably in a hotel room on the, you know, $3 an hour or $3 a minute yeah. phone line talking to your family. And, you know, you got five minutes, 10 minutes, and that was that. So, you know, it is cool to have these connections. We're talking right now over video, which is awesome. Yeah. This probably wouldn't happen if, if we didn't have that. Um, but yeah, it, it can be a lonely existence. Um, so I, I, and I'm not trying to make it negative by any means. You know, you get a little bitter over the years doing it for, yeah. for as long as I have. And, and I do, you know, now that I have a solid, amazing relationship and i'm sober these little things like being home with the family are, are means so much more to me where in my party days it, it might not have as much because the road was the party and then it was fun and sometimes i didn't want to come home but it's all what you make your home life to be you know yeah. some guys some gals love it because they don't have a partner they don't have kids and they can live on the road for six months, nine months, a year, and it's not going to bother them. And they, you know, you can bank a bunch of money that way. And I guess that would be my, my, you know, if you're young and you're not like in a rush to have a family or, or, or kind of have that home life, amazing job for you. Cause you, cause that's what's cool about it. You can bank a bunch of money on tour cause you're not spending it. You get, catering at the venues um your hotel or bus or wherever you're sleeping is paid for by the tour your travels paid by the tour and then you get a per diem per day depending on the tour you know however much money that is um so you know i know guys that do these long you, you know world tours and they're coming and, they, and if you don't drink or party that's another good advice don't drink or party <laughs> you can bank all that per diem you get your pay rate and you can come home with you know 10 20 grand and you're you're sitting pretty so you know it's really how how you kind of go what what kind of um way you go into it you know what kind of mindset you have Obviously, I have all this information now because I've done it for so long. Yeah. Um, if I had all this info before I started, probably would have been a lot more helpful. <laughs> and you're young and crazy, and you jump into it, and you're like, "Ah, oh, this is the best." Um, but you know, as we get older, you live and learn. Yeah, I would tell. I would never. I wouldn't tell anyone to go on TV news. <laughs> if you want to make money, if you want to have a family, if you want to, because 
there, I mean, I went to one of the best markets, which was Long Island, about as big as New Orleans. And, um, but everybody was striving to be in New York City, union work and everything. And, um, but people jumped markets to get to where I was at. And, and you got to keep doing that as a reporter if you just want to move up the ladder. And, and news doesn't work nine to five, news is a 24 hour cycle. And so I was there during 9 11. And I remember, the day of i was off but the day after 21 days straight or something i was working like there was no and i had you know a wife then she's like when you coming home and i'd be like i don't know right. and i don't think she understood that kind of work because she kind of had a nine to five job and yeah. now my current you know partner she owns a funeral home here in laramie and she goes out it's 24 seven job, 24 hour job, 24 seven, you know, and people are like, well, they would call the funeral home and thinking they could leave a message. And she answers and they're shocked. It's two in the morning. And she's like, yeah, because death doesn't stop. And I get that. Right. You know, and I've been an on-call worker and I'm like, it takes a good partner to understand that kind of lifestyle. You've got one that's clearly like, Hey, you know, you're happy on the road doing this stuff but you love coming home too. And so, and we get to come see you sometimes and that that's pretty awesome. And, but yet, you know, yeah, of course we all learn from our mistakes in our 20, or at least we hope to. And, you know, it's, I would tell people, you know, video stuff. I'm like, um, get some training, you know, don't come into this raw thinking it's magic, you know, and guess what you may be doing rolling cable all day long <laughs> that's what you may be doing that may be the first job you do and guess what most, like, most likely it is and then if it's feeder you're really in yeah it. and then if you do good at that one we trust you to do this next job you know that's how it works and you gotta stick in it for a long time to get the trust from the next you know either artist or the next company to move you up going oh hey i worked with this guy he's solid he can do this for us and but you got to be willing to do i always say do the crap jobs you got to be willing to come in early and go out late until you've earned that trust to be the guy you know to do other bigger jobs but that's why i would tell people trying to break into the industry i was like you're not above answering phones and rolling cable i know you may have a degree in music theology but this is where we're going right now. <laughs> and I mean, even on the level of talent, I was, I was telling you about that festival. We just didn't, and uh, outside it was in Ventura, California, but I flew into LAX and I jumped in an Uber and my Uber driver was an extra. And he's, <laughs> he was probably in his thirties and he's had, I think he said he had 10 or 15 year career as an extra, but he related to what we do as behind the scenes guys because he is there for the 12 to the 18 hour shoots standing around waiting to do his pass by or whatever but he's there that whole day even though he's quote unquote part of the talent you know he's not getting his own dressing room or anything like that but you know he's still part of the production so he got it right away and he had to drive uber because he had a baby on the way or something. I forget the exact circumstance, yeah. but, you know, working when he didn't have work, um, you know, because like anyone, even, you know, the touring professional, 
sure, we know what we're doing for the next year, but it's not every day. You know, there there could be big breaks. Something could happen to one of the musicians, one of the talent, and hurts himself, gets sick. I mean, you hear about it all the time. Okay, so-and-so has to quit in the middle of the tour or their next tour is canceled. Then that guy's running to go find some other work because his work just got taken away. Nothing is nothing's promised. Um, you know, you're not going to just get a salary because, you know, you might if you're with someone higher up and, and, you know, they might be so cool to give you a salary for that year, but it's not always promised. Your next paycheck's not always promised. I remember when I just got an office window, that was <laughs> a big step in my job because with, well, with video and editing, we, they put us in the deepest, darkest corners of a building and I hate fluorescent lights still to the day. Oh and, God, yeah. Yeah. And so I would be like, I remember my first window, I was first time I was a manager and I was like, wow, I have a window. This is something I never saw coming. Like I was always thought I'd be in the deepest, darkest spot in the building, which is okay as a video guy because I can control the light. Still today <laughs> in my house, I have three point lighting. Like it's just, it sticks, it stays. And like our kitchen has a fluorescent light and I'll turn on like other lights in the kitchen. And my girlfriend will be like, do you like cooking in the dark? I was like, no, I hate fluorescent lights. I can hear it buzz. So I want to <laughs> shut it on like from the yeah. training and wearing headphones and you're like, what the hell is that yeah. noise? Oh, it's fluorescent. You, so, yeah, you, <laughs> you, get you get trained whether your brain hears every little buzz, every little anything out there. Oh, like yeah. the, and I mowing the lawn two places down, but you still hear you got your headphones on. Oh, yeah. And there are people who are shocked. I was like, the amount of concerts I've gone to, I probably should be deaf because I didn't wear earplugs, but I can I can pick up sounds still pretty easy. And I was like, that's from years of training to be like, mm -hmm. I hear that lawnmower. And everybody's like, what lawnmower? And I'm like, really, it's right down the street. <laughs> and it's picking up everything. And like my we got a new house in October and I have a full studio, like I can shut doors. It's awesome. It's away from like almost the rest of the house. And I'm like, no, I don't pick up every TV in the house. I don't pick up a lot of stuff. So I was like, this is what it's like. I've got real insulation on the walls. Like, so I could it can come across professional because I will hear it. I will hear mm -hmm. it in somebody's interview. And I'll I will just be like, I missed the interview because I could hear their baby talking in the background or something. So I was like, okay. And it's okay for my guests to be that way, but I want to present myself a different way. And it's just training and such. Um, when did you leave Colorado? What got you to Florida? It was uh, November, December 2020. I said I was going through some addiction issues. We were home for over a year, no work. My marriage fell apart. I got divorced. I got sober, which was amazing. Best thing that ever happened to me. And I decided to come down here to Florida, be near my parents. They're, you know, elderly, 80 and 81. And like I said, um, you know, it's been 30 years of barely seeing them, maybe once a year, maybe twice. Christmas was always kind of broken up by 
I might come in for a day or two and then I had to fly out for our New Year's shows because we had to load in on the 26th, which is the day after Christmas. Most every year we did Thanksgiving shows Friday, Saturday, Sunday sometimes. So I would leave Thanksgiving Day if I even got there. So I'm kind of just hanging here. Um, my house, I live about five hours north of my parents, but I'll, I've been leaving my dog here a lot when um, my girlfriend can't take care of her and take care of a family and all that. So I'll leave the dog with them and fly in and out of here and get to see them a lot more. And it's been nice. Um, thank, luckily, they're both in pretty for their age and they're uh, trucking along and, and like I said I, I love the fact I can wear flip flops 24-7 here um, yeah. and I'm over the cold man I, my skiing days are gone Yeah, I, I never I was the same as you after skiing for many years my knees are just shot and I, I'm just over it, the whole thing I don't yeah. ever want to de-ice my car I don't ever want to <laughs> shovel another sidewalk I'm over it so it's, it's my uh segue into retirement pre-retirement already down in florida yeah not... i was gonna say weirdly enough new yorkers your parents moving to florida retire is what seems like a natural migration florida was yeah. calling your name long before you knew it i guess it was <laughs> and, uh, it's funny because a lot of them like you know will will keep two residences and go back and forth but my parents said no they just uh moved down here full time which is great and because right now is is beginning of the summer and it's super hot but i don't mind it at all i'd rather be sweating than cold (laughs) i just got i think i mentioned this earlier in the interview that i was in telluride for bluegrass it was like 37 degrees the last night I had my full Patagonia gear on, hat, the whole nine yards. Um, and like I said, I'm over it, man. I'm, I'm down with, with with flip-flops and shorts, and, and I love to golf. So anytime I'm actually playing tomorrow before I fly out on Wednesday. So it's, like I said, I'm already, I've been groomed for this. Golf, <laughs> sun, beach, where I live in in fernandina beach is a little sleepy beach town up north northern northeast corner of florida and it's awesome it's not the florida you that you people think of of down south you know miami fort lauderdale it's super it's getting more you know the the population is starting to grow and a lot more people are coming there but it's 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 not it's not the Miami South no. Beach craziness of Florida. And I think that's what everyone thinks when they hear Florida. But the, oh. the state's huge. It's a pretty cool place. I've been, yeah, my little sister lived in Orlando, but I've been like Jackson. I've been all over the state. And I knew that north part of the state is so different than the southern part. So. Yeah, and it's beautiful. Yeah. There's, you know, the live oak trees, and we have some property up there and, and – I lit, when I got there, I couldn't believe you can you can leave your keys in your car, you can leave your front door open, and there's you know basically zero crime up there. It, it, it's a great place to live. I love it. Nice, nice. One last question for you. The name of the show is All My Friends with Justin Flaskrude. How did we meet? If you're fuzzy on it. I 
can fill in my. I, I think we met through Rosie. Yes. That's correct, right? Yeah. And was it Fort Collins? Actually, it was in Milwaukee. That uh, was the first time we met? Yeah, it was. Oh, wow. I, I uh, see those pictures pop up once in a while yeah. on my social media. And that was, was that 2011? Yeah, I had to look it up the other day. I was like, how long? I go, I don't feel like I felt that was like 13 or 14, but it was 11. Um, yeah, I was, I drove out with um, Andrea. Yes. Yeah, Andrea Walker. Yeah, And we awesome. hit up um, Omaha the night before, which <laughs> crackheads outside, our hotel sucked. But yeah, it was, <laughs> it was terrible. Um, but great show. But it was funny because JB was like, you guys got to drive 13 hours to get here and 13 hours to get out of this place. Where are we? Yeah, right. And I was like, yeah, it's Omaha. Like, <laughs> you do. And we went the on river, to river, river, The Riverside is a special place. So oh, I love it. I love that venue. I've worked, I've obviously been there as a fan, with, like I was with you guys. And I also worked there with String Cheese. And it's such a great venue. I love that place. And never forget it because Rosie and I are getting a ride home, getting a cab home. And Dave Schools was waiting for a cab too. It was like four in the morning. You knew him. So you're talking to him. I'm just in awe. Can't get two words out of my mouth. Because that's just something you didn't expect at the time. But I was just like, I just, I'm here for him, but I'm just frozen right here going, you know. And he was like, hey, you guys see you tomorrow. You know, have a good time. And you know, such a nice dude. And the uh, the one thing you'll get, and I obviously forget this a lot, being around all these musicians and, and artists, they're just people too. Oh, man. yeah. You know, like, so many people, like you say, get froze up, you freak out, and say dumb shit. Because, like, they don't want to hear that dumb shit. They want to hear, they'd rather hear about your day or something cool that happened to you than you, for you to be like, oh, dude, do you remember, uh, you know, Milwaukee 2011 and you played Stop Go or what, you yeah. know, like something stupid. They don't want to hear that, you know? Yeah. Or, and or if they, they're just going to blow you off. You got a way better chance of getting somewhere by telling them something personal or or just talking about the weather over over something like that. I usually just thank them. Like I've been I've had friends that were, you know, college athletes and celebrities and I see all that and they're just like, Ugh. and I don't want to be that guy. So yeah. at the at the least I'm gonna thank them. Maybe we get in a conversation, but I was like, thank you for entertaining me. Thank you. I'm not going to be like, do you remember this? Or what are you doing now? Like, no, I know the normal people. And because I was, when I was DJing here in Laramie, I was a semi-celebrity and I would go to like Walmart and buy groceries and people that would see me DJ over the weekend would like freak out. What are you doing here? Oh my God. I'm like, I'm getting cereal. Like every other normal person does. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not just strapped in entertaining you all the time. Right. And one time it was at a football game and the smoke cigarette and this girl came up and she bummed one. We introduced ourselves and I was like, yeah, and my friends call me rude. And she was like, DJ rude. And I was like, yeah. And it changed fandom. She couldn't say two words after that. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not, I'm not that big of a deal. Like, so I would try to switch it up. Like, how was your day? Like, what are you doing? You know, how's the game? 
And she's like, my friends love you. Go to see you play. And I was like, that's cool. Keep coming. Um, but it was total weird. So I don't want to be that guy with other people. And so I go, at the least, I'll just say thanks for entertaining me. You know, and I ran into it. But it was just so out of, you know, I didn't expect to see him there right then at four in the morning. I was just, holy crap. You know, couldn't have wished for anything better at the moment. So I, I get I get a lot of that in an indirect way because you know, especially being out on tour with jam bands, the fans know that I'm their direct link to that oh, yeah. artist, musician. So it's like we, we would talk about this like on the bus or something. Like we have this weird um you know, kind of pseudo celebrity to our job because these fans of course want to you know in the jam band world it's, it's a little more chill because a lot of those artists will leave themselves a lot more accessible mm-hmm. than these other pop stars um but still it still happens you know and it, it's just funny especially on cheese tour there would be you know Back in the day, there was a group of kids that went, came to every show. And it was, you know, and a lot of them would end up being having relationships with some of the band members if they were willing to be friends or not, you know. Um, but yeah, it's pretty funny to watch someone kind of freak out. And like you said, their the whole vibe changes immediately. Um, yeah. <laughs> just because so and so walked through the door and just you as a DJ, like, I think that's hilarious because then. You might have been having a great conversation with that woman and then it all changes because she her perception of you just changed hey, yeah. you're, you're this person that she sees up on the stage yeah it was weird it was definitely weird and one of my this was cool one of my first dates with my partner now we're out at this restaurant we finish our meal the waiter comes up and goes are you dj rude and i was like yeah and he bows and goes you have fans and i was like thank you and my girlfriend did you give me a free dinner i did not i should have (laughs) my girlfriend was like oh my god is this gonna happen i was like well i just got out of like the bar dj side of things um so yeah a little bit um (laughs) she's the mortician owns a funeral home now she's the rock star you took care of my mom dad like when we're out in public right, 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 right. everybody remembers her first and and i'm like and then sometimes there'll be somebody that crosses over and they're like oh you're that dj but I, i'm like you're the rock star now and i knew you would be now i'm just your you know arm candy or whatever i'm not that well, guy and just to, and just to piggyback that and it just happened to me this past weekend now with social media people see your picture and i a woman came up to me backstage at bluegrass she's like hey are you maddie veach and i'm like yeah do i know you and she's like well you don't we've emailed blah 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 a couple times she was she was part of the the production crew and she was part of the office crew like i know your face from uh there was like a someone made a crew video for leftover salmon last year and she's like, I just know you from that video. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Okay, we've never met, but you've seen my picture. It's just weird, you know, that the whole digital thing makes your face and name accessible to people. Uh, because you're accessible like that, like I tell guests on this show, I'm always like, um, you're now will be a searchable person on Google if you aren't already. 
because you're tied into the show now. And they're like, oh, really? And I was like, I hope it doesn't lead to anything crazy. But just to let you know, <laughs> you're out there because you're tied in the show. Um, yeah, it's uh, one time I remember this, too. Uh, I was taking a break, DJing one night. I was outside and uh, someone came out the door just shit talking the DJ. Just and I was right there. And I was like, oh, yeah. Man, I hate it when he does this. And I just start going down the line of stuff that I annoys myself. And then without fail, someone comes out the door and I was like, what's up, DJ Rude? And the guy was just like, oh, my God, you're DJ Rude? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, I can't believe it. And I was like, you didn't like want to punch or anything. I was like, I I can take it, man. Like, I've heard yeah. it all before. Hey, man, the, the, hate, the hate comes way harder and stronger than the love, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's but so I was like, I'll jump in on it. Like I can talk right. about myself in a third person. That's easy, <laughs> you know, because you won't even know the stuff I screw up that annoys me. So I could go on that for a while. And I've had people imitate me the ways I would DJ. Like they come to me and they'd be like, "What song's next?" Because I'd be like, "Oh my god, you're doing me to me. That's so funny. You're cracking me up." I just said. <laughs> Well, hey man, I wanna I wanna thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I want to thank Matty for being on the show and giving me some of his time between leftover salmon tour dates. He's luckily back home in Florida, getting to see. His family uh, picking up his dog from the vet who was having seizures. She's doing a whole lot better. Um, so he had a lot going on. He had phone calls and text messages coming through during the interview that kind of, uh, you know, made the interview a little choppy. Hopefully I cut all those out for you. I don't know about you, but I learned a lot about backstage production uh, roles um, how to get into the field and I say the next time you see a concert production crew member at a show Thank them for the good times. I know I will the next time I see one now If you haven't please subscribe and like this podcast on whatever platform you listen on Please like the Facebook page all my friends with Justin Flaskrude and if you feel the urge to share the podcast or just share an interview Please do share it on social media On to the next episode. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud.